What would your community look like if you and 12 of your friends read the words of Jesus, the words some Bibles printed red, and then dreamed up creative ways to put his words into practice? Somewhere along the, the way us church folk, we watered down the words of Jesus. He never invited us to join a religious institution. He invited us to follow him on a mission, to carry on what he started. Jesus wants us to, to create whimsical expressions of community where the kingdom of heaven can be experienced by people here on earth. You know, a few years ago, uh, my friends and I began asking the question, what would Jesus do if he lived in our neighborhood? How would he meet the need of our food insecure neighbors? Since none of us could multiply fish and bread, we decided to create a pay-what-you-can community cafe. We call it the table. The sign on the front door says everyone has a seat at our table. It doesn't matter if you live in a big house on the other side of town or if, or if you live under the viaduct down the street, you have a seat at our table. It is a place where everyone can come and enjoy the flavor of community. You know, another set of friends began asking the question, what would Jesus do with all these abandoned houses in our neighborhood? How would he help our neighbors who have very limited resources become homeowners? Asking the question led them to create a nonprofit construction company. They call it Promise Housing Plus. <laughs> I think the plus stands for all the love they pour into the houses and, and into our neighbors who purchase the homes. I'll never forget the day Amanda signed a deed on her house with tears in her eyes. She said, I'm the first person in my family to own their own home. Think Red will help you ask questions like these. I believe if you and a handful of your friends read the book and then made a plan to align the values of your community with the values of Jesus, beautiful things would begin to unfold. Think about it for a moment. Can you imagine what would happen in your neighborhood if it received a little slice of heaven? Good to be with you all this morning and um, the way I understand that uh, some of you have already read this book yep. and um, had a little study around it and you you invited me to come and talk anyway that kind of <laughs> I'm just really really honored that that uh, you did that so all right yeah so um, you know, I brought a few of them. If, if somebody in here didn't get one and you want one, you can get one today. But, and I want to talk a little bit about what's in the book and things you've already, some of you have already read. But, but before I go there, I sure would like to ask a, a couple of questions. You know? um, 
first question is this. I'm just wondering if, if you've ever said yes to something, you know, like in, in the moment of enthusiasm. You know, and you just you just said yes, and you agreed to do something, and you and then you woke up the next morning, and you and you thought, oh Lord, what was I thinking? Why, why in the world did I say yes to that? You know, um, I think Zacchaeus had that experience. You know, you remember his story. Jesus is coming through town. He climbs a tree so he can see Jesus walking by a little short guy, little tax collector. Nobody liked him, didn't have any friends. But he's in the tree, and Jesus comes by, and he pauses. And he says, Zacchaeus, come on down from there. We're going to go to your house. He invited himself to Zacchaeus's house. We're going over for a dinner party. And Zacchaeus was so honored to have this guy named Jesus in his house that that, and, and all of his friends, you know, some friends came, Jesus' friends came, and all of a sudden Zacchaeus is feeling like, I'm in, you know, I'm included, Jesus is here in my house. And he says, Jesus, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody and I've cheated some people, I'm going to pay them back four times. I'm going to make some restitution and pay them back four times what I stole. And I've got this feeling that the next morning when Zacchaeus woke up and, and he looked over at his wife and, bid, and he said, oh my God, what did I say? Did I really say half of everything? Yeah. Have you ever done that? Just said yes to something and then the next morning you thought, why in the world did I say yes to that? The things we say yes to. And the things we say no to will have a tremendous impact on our lives. The things that we say yes to have a formative way of, of creating our character. And, and you can look back and think of some of the things that you've said yes to that have changed the whole trajectory of your life. That it is, my life is different now because I said yes then. And maybe that was a yes to your spouse. Maybe it was a yes to Jesus. Maybe it was yes to a job or yes to a move, but you know you said that yes, and it changed everything about the direction of your lives. And some of the yeses that we say will have eternal consequences on our lives and the people in our circle of influence. I think that's why in Matthew 5, 37, Jesus told us this. He said, you need to duly consider the covenants that you're going to make before you make them. Don't go around swearing on heaven or swearing on your head or making oaths. Jesus said, just think about it. Think about what you're getting ready to do and what you're getting ready to say and let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. And then he says, Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You know, when God presents us with, with this life-giving opportunity, I think what Jesus is saying is this. All you need to say is simply yes. And then live into the promise. Live into God's presence. Live into God's gifts. Just say yes. St. Paul said it this way in his letter to the Corinthian church. In the first chapter, the 20th verse, he said, As surely as God is faithful, 
our message to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are always yes in Jesus. Every morning when you wake up, God is sending you an invitation. Every sunrise is an invitation from our Heavenly Father to live life to its fullest today. To walk in God's presence today. To receive all that God has promised and then to discover whimsical ways to share God's grace and love with others. And all you need say is simply, yes. Yes. Not yes and no. But simply yes. Yes, God. I want all you have for me. I want to share everything you give me with my neighbors. So that's, that brings me to the second question that I want to ask you as individuals, but maybe more importantly, collectively as, as a church. Revolution United Methodist Church. What is God inviting you to say yes to? What are your dreamers dreaming? What dreams are your dreamers dreaming? What new territory are the explorers, the pioneers among you dying to explore? What visions are your visionaries having about the future of this church and our city? What is the what is the preferred future that you are talking about and thinking about and dreaming about? What is it that God's inviting you to say yes to? What opportunities is God giving you to make God's kingdom and God's love known in our city? When we embrace life and love and when we chase after Jesus and, and the justice that he longs to see and we make his vision for the world our vision, it will have eternal consequences on our churches and on our city. Revolution United Methodist Church, what is God inviting you to say yes to? I want to share a couple of examples of how we have said yes to God's invitation, uh, Kathy and I, as well as the, the, the small community that we're a part of. You know, early in the 1990s, 92, 93, God gave us this really strange opportunity. It was, it was, it was, it, I was serving in two different youth groups two different parts of the city. One of those was at St. John over in, in Goshen. And, 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 and Tom Grieve was the pastor there. And we were, and, and I, I was just, that was half of my life, my work life. And then the other half, I was working down in the West End in, on Beard Street with a, with a small group of teenagers that were living there in one of our poorest neighborhoods. And the passion that we felt, that Kathy and I felt, 
for the kids in the city and the kids in the neighborhood of Portland. It was, it was obvious, it was easy for us to see the invitation, what God was inviting us to do, and we said yes. Yes. We want to work with these urban kids. In 1999, we're, we're still commuting back and forth from Centerfield to, to Portland and back to Centerfield. And then, and then God, God invited us to, to move to the city, which we found very strange and quite surprising. But in 1999, we said, yes, we're going to move into the neighborhood. I remember a couple nights after we moved there, Kathy and I were sitting at the kitchen table and we said, you know, we, we'll live here about five years and then we'll move on. 22 years later, we're still there. <laughs> hmm. In 2001, we're, 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 you know, we're just hanging out with teenagers. She's playing with the children. I'm playing with the teenagers. We had another youth minister working with us, and, and Tony was a youth minister at the time. And Tony and, 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 and said, said, what do you think about maybe us meeting up here on Sunday mornings and for a year? Maybe just meet up and just pray. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that? And we said, yes. Yeah. It's like, we'll just do this for a year. We're not trying to plan a church. We're not trying to, you know, do anything other than have a little prayer meeting for a year. We're going to listen to God. We're going to read scripture collectively. We'll listen to a couple CDs. And we'll just ask each other, what's God saying? What's God inviting us to do? And, and that first, first January, that first Sunday in January 2001, there was three of us. It was me and Tony and one of the teenagers. And, and about three or four weeks later, we doubled in size. Kathy and my two sons decided to join us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when you plan a church with the conference here, the United Methodist Conference, they, they want you to make a ministry action plan. You know, I, I don't know, y'all might have one of those. You got one of those? Well, I... <laughs> Our ministry action plan was like this, meet and pray. <laughs> that was all there was to it, you know? There was no goals, no benchmarks. We're just going to meet and pray and hear what God's inviting us to say yes to. And we started that in 2001. Here we are 22 years later, still a small group of folks getting up on Sunday morning, circling up, reading some scripture, listening to some songs and asking the question, what is God inviting us to say yes to today? You know, in 2012, the conference did invite us to, to take this small community of faith that was meeting for prayer and, and, and become an, an official United Methodist Church. We said yes, but they wanted us to have a ministry action plan. I needed a leadership team and all that jazz. So I invited one of our friends named Johnny to be a part of that. Johnny was uh, worshiping with us. He had been praying with us and hanging out. He came to us through the Celebrate Recovery program. And we called him Tattoo Johnny because he had the, the wildest tattoos I've, I've ever seen. I mean, on, on one side, it was just like this rushing water, like whitewater rapid or something. You know, you'd want to give him a towel and dry his arm off, you know. And the other, other arm looked like, forearm looked like a, a, the flames on a race car, you know. And one day I asked him, I said, Johnny, what, what is it with your tattoos? And he raised his hands in the air and he said, these tats remind me I've been baptized in the water and the fire. <laughs> 
So I asked Johnny, I said, you want to be a part of our church plant team, our leadership team? And he said, well, yes. But Larry, what, what kind of church are we anyway? He said, are we non-denominational or charismatic? What are we? And I said, Johnny, it, it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> I said, but if anybody important asks you, we're United Methodist. <laughs> I also asked uh, Becky Curry to be a part of our leadership team. And, and many of you probably know Becky. She was our district superintendent at the time. And so we're all circled up and we're, we're talking about our, this new church we're going we're gonna to plant and that we've already been a church for 10 years, but somehow it's like this is a new thing. And, and Johnny starts telling the story. He said, Larry, I asked Larry, what kind of church are we in? And I'm like, I'm starting kicking him under the table, you know. <laughs> and he just keeps on going. He said, yeah, he said, you know, it doesn't matter that much. But if anybody important, and I'm kicking him harder. And he finally stops and looks at me, and, and I'm going like that, and he says, Oh, are you the somebody important? <laughs> so ever since then, we've been trying to figure out what kind of church do we want to be. We're going to be a United Methodist Church, but what kind of church? What kind of community do we want to be? What kind of church are we anyway? You know, there's this quote by this guy named Lou Ingalls. I just, I love it. Lou Ingalls. I don't know if you know him or read any of his stuff, but he was one of the pastors at, at lead pastors at the International House of Prayer. And he was there for a while, and then he, he moved across the country, uh, opening and starting and launching houses of prayer. And, then, and he even spent some time in Washington, D.C., leading a prayer movement there. But he said this, the constitution of a community is more important than the passion of their prayers. Now that's a big thing for somebody to say who has given and devoted their whole lives to leading and starting houses of prayer. The constitution of the community, the organizing principles of your church is more important important than the passion of your prayers. We can pray passionately about a lot of things, but organize ourselves in a way that sabotages the very prayers that we're praying. Or we can organize ourselves in a way where we ourselves become how, somehow become partners with God and become answers to the prayers we're praying. What are the organizing principles of your church? What kind of church do you want to be? And we decided that we want to be a church that looks like Jesus. We want his ways, his words, to be what we organize ourselves around. We want his mission to be our mission. We're going to be a church organized around mission, and the mission is going to be the mission of Jesus. The things he values are going to be the things we value. We're going to have a community of compassion because he was compassionate. Jesus was a, was a person who included 
everyone. He, he was always making larger and larger circles of compassion so that no one would be left out. He had a way of affirming the dignity of, of the least and the lost. Those who are lonely and overlooked and left out. He had a way of, of creating a circle where they felt welcome. They could belong even long before they believed. His was, his was a community of grace and forgiveness. He counted justice as the weightier matter of the law. We decided we wanted to be a church, a red-letter church, a church that, that valued the things Jesus valued and organized ourselves around his mission and vision. And we wanted to care about our community the way he cared about his community. You know, we, it didn't take us long to realize that, that one of the ways you affirm the dignity of the people you're trying to serve is to listen to them before you lay some service on them. And so we spent time listening to our community so we could understand their felt needs. One th there was one time when, when um, the other two pastors there at the church, Ryan and Luke and I, we were sitting there at the table and having lunch, and we were talking about the importance of listening to our community. You know, we're just kind of going over that, rehearsing that again, how important it is. And, and my buddy Mark shows, come up to the table, and Mark's one of our, one of our homeless neighbors, and he hangs out at the table all the time, and um, and he and he talks to himself a lot. I mean, I, well, I think he's talking to himself. It looks like he's talking to somebody else, but I can't see them. But he's, you know, and so he comes up and he and he's looking at us, and and he just kind of interrupts our conversation. And so I'm thought, let's practice what we're preaching. And you know, Mark, what do you need? What's your felt need? And Mark says, you know what I need. I need a spaceship <laughs> so I can explore the stars. I wrote it down. Spaceship. When you ask somebody what they need or what they want, you don't like limit it by what you think's possible or what they really need or want. And then and then after I wrote it down, Mark said, I also could use two dollars for a bus fare. <laughs> We listened to our neighbors. We heard this great deal of uh, this, this food insecurity. There's a need for a place to come and get some healthy, decent food. Some place where they could get their meat needs met. They, what they called it was a sit-down restaurant. That's what our neighbors said. We want a sit-down restaurant. And we thought, how do we do that? I mean, we don't need another food pantry. We don't need another soup kitchen. We need a place that affirms the dignity of everybody. And Kathy found this video by this guy named Bon Jovi who has a, a, a restaurant up in New Jersey called the Soul Kitchen. It was a pay-what-you-can community cafe. And she sent it out to me and a couple others. And, and she said, I think we can do this. And, and me and John, we looked at it and watched the video, and we said, yes. It was one of those yeses. Don't know how we're going to do it. I asked John, I said, John, what do you know about the restaurant business? He said, I've eaten at some good ones. <laughs> yeah, we didn't know what we were doing, but, but, but we said yes. And it really changed the direction of our church and how we saw, you know, Monday through Friday is as important as what we do on Sunday. 
and and you know we used to have church dinners once once a quarter you know and 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 that we, and now we have a church lunch every day and the whole city's invited and it doesn't matter who you are how much you have or how little you have you have a seat at at our table and then you saw in the video where the the folks were asking about the housing need we listen to our neighbors and we need housing we have all of this housing stock that's vacant and it's it it is a problem for our neighborhood it's an asset some people see it as a liability but but ryan and his friends saw it as an asset you know here's a house they're going to sell for a dollar let's buy it and fix it up you know how ryan came up with that he went to louisville presbyterian seminary and they paid his way, you know, it was free. That's the way I understand anybody can go there for free. But he was still got some student loans and he took his student loans and he bought a house. <laughs> he bought this house for like, I think $6,000. And then it wasn't long until he said, Dad, I think I paid 4,000 too much. <laughs> but he renovated the home and moved his family in. And then he started saying, you know, I think I think I could do this for my neighbors. If I did it for myself, why can't I do it again? And he asked a few of us to help him think about how to organize that and how to create a nonprofit ministry so he could do that. And, and we said yes. And because we said yes, now there's three people in our neighborhood who came to our church through our, the recovery program who are now working at the church or in one of the ministries and they are living in their own home yes 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 so i just want to share these examples this is just a few ways that this small church in the west end of louisville is listening to the invitation that jesus is making giving us and saying yes yes So revolution, I want to ask you again, what is God inviting you to say yes to? What kind of church do you want to be? You know, I think this is a, a great question for every church to ask over and over again, but especially uh, uh, us United Methodist churches here in in the Kentucky Conference, it's, it's a pressing question for us in this time of transition. What, what kind of church do we want to be? You know, sometimes I think us church folk take church for granted. We, we, we lack like this imagination. And, and we wind up saying yes to to models of church that were handed down to us from generations past. I mean, we, we just assume this is what church is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be, you know. Just, and we, we buy in hook, line, and sinker to these models of attractional church, and we base our success on butts in pews, bills in the offering plate, and the buzz around our church programs. We pay our church staff and our clergy to design and lead programs, and we hope that those church services that we, we offer are hot enough that people will come back to our church next week instead of going to the church down the street. 
I fear that most of our churches have what Reggie McNeil calls missional amnesia. We've fallen asleep at the wheel. We've forgotten our purpose. We've forgotten our mission. We forgot that Jesus had a vision for the church that is much bigger and bolder than what we've gotten used to. What do you think Jesus had in mind when he told Peter on this rock, I will build my church? You remember that scripture? Jesus and his friends had gone to this place called Caesarea Philippi. You know, Jesus says, what, you know, what are people saying? You know, who, who they say I am, you know? And then, and then they talk about that for a little while. And then he said, well, what about you? You know, and then Peter says, well, I think you're the Messiah, the Son of God. He said, you know, and Jesus says, folks, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Do you really think when Jesus spoke those words originally, that he envisioned a big religious institution? You think he, he was saying, you know, like looking into the future and thinking, boy, I can't wait until these folks organize themselves into clubs where some people are in and some people are out based on their opinion of me. <laughs> when Jesus envisioned the church, do you really think he saw groups of people meeting up once a week to do church things with church people on church property? Or did he have something much more outrageous in mind? Could it be that Jesus is inviting us to be, be a part of a movement instead of an institution? Could it be that Jesus is in, inviting us to follow him, to be a part of this movement that he has started where we follow him as close as we can? We, we, we just tag along with him and we learn from him every day how to do what he did and how to live like he lived and how to love like he loved. Learning right from him how to do the things he did. And then figuring out a way to put that into practice, to, to express that in ways that helps fulfill the vision that Jesus had for the world. You know, I think, I think it would help you. A little historical context might help get a grasp of what Jesus maybe had in mind when he told Peter on this rock, I'll build my church. Matthew says that they were in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And if you, if you go home and you Google that you, and, 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 and Google gate of hell, you'll find out there's an actual gate of hell right there in Caesarea Philippi. Big stone kind of mountain rock ledge and this big cave. And then you'll see ancient ruins of where there were temples for idolatry worship. And they called it the gates of hell. And people worshipped Pan there. And they worshipped other gods there. There was uh, temple prostitution, child sacrifice. There was all of this evil in the name of religion being practiced in this place. It was a dark 
place, a foreboding place of evil and injustice. And Jesus said, on this rock, this is where I'm going to build my church. He took his friends on a field trip to Caesarea Philippi, to the very gates of hell, and he said, Peter, right here, on this rock. And the gates of hell, and I'm sure he pointed, and he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus wasn't saying, we're going to build a church, we're going to get real close, and we're going to build a church and build real nice gates, and hell will not be able to break it down. Jesus was saying, this gate of hell, this force of evil, will not withstand the force of the kingdom of God. We are going to advance the kingdom into places of darkness and evil, and this gate of hell, this gate of evil, will not stand. We are going to transform this place called earth and it's going to look and feel like heaven. That's his vision for the world. He said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus had a radical vision for the world and for all the creation for that matter. He called it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Jesus talked about it all the time. He said when the kingdom comes in its fullness, the poor are going to hear good news. You know, prisoners and those who are captive, they're going to be set free. When the kingdom shows up, people who are sick are going to be healed. When the kingdom shows up, people who are lonely and the strangers are going to be welcomed. The lost will be found and the dead will raise to new life. And when, when I think about the kingdom and try to get a definition for it, I, I, I use this word. I think Reggie McNeil said it, it. Life as it was meant to be lived when God created the heaven and the earth before the fall, before sin, before evil. God's vision for our planet, for our world, was to be a place of love and grace and acceptance and freedom where we walked in God's presence. I believe when Jesus told Peter on this rock, I'll build my church, he intended for his church to be the primary mission strategy to make his vision of the kingdom of God let loose on earth a reality. Did you get that? Yeah. Our churches are the missional strategy that Jesus has to release his vision, to make his vision for the earth a reality. I think Jesus probably saw small communities of people Remember, he said, one, one or two of you gather up in my name, I'm there. Yeah? And I don't think Jesus was obsessed with bigness. I mean, just, just, just a couple of you. If a couple of you will get together in my name, I'll be there and we'll do some good things. We'll do some crazy things. We'll do some transformative things. Small communities, people following him as close as they can.
living and loving like he did. I think he saw small micro communities praying like crazy. <laughs> Just praying like crazy for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done on earth. And then <laughs> dreaming up some creative ways to be the answer to the prayers. It's a red letter vision. Revolution, God is inviting you to live up to your name. Our city needs to see a kingdom of heaven revolution. And your church has a role to play in that. For, for heaven's sake, I mean, God's already blown off the roof of your church, right? I mean, it's like, and now you guys, the sky's the limit, right? Right? You can, I mean, you can be like my buddy Mark. Y'all can start building spaceships and explore the stars of God's kingdom if you want to. Don't say no to anything right now. Let everything be, like, just be out there as a possibility. I understand you guys are not going back where you were, that you're plotting out and pioneering new places and a new way to be and a new way to organize yourself. This whole city is open to you right now. God, where do you want us to go? What kind of church do you want us to be? What are you inviting us to say yes to? Jesus is inviting you to join his mission to help make his red-letter vision for the world a reality right here and now. And all you need say is simply yes. Yes. And that's all I got. <laughs> and I, and I, plan, I plan to just drop the mic and walk off, but they asked me to pray. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do, all right? And I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for your church. I want to, I, when I found out you all had decided not to move backwards, but to move forwards, it, I mean, I just got so excited. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be here today to encourage you in that. Who are your dreamers? Let them dream. Who are your pioneers? Let them explore. Who are your visionaries? Mm. Let them craft a new vision of what Revolution United Methodist Church might look like. Lord, I'm praying for this group of people. They love you so much. I can tell it. I know some of them. I've known them for a long time. They've been following you and loving you for a long time. And God, there's a new season for this church that you have in mind. Help them say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.